Would you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 14? I have been given the text, chapter 2, verse 14 through 21. And uh, we're in Pentecost, pretty much. This is, this is where we're at in the, in the text. So I'll read this text to you, and then I'll pray, and, uh, and then we'll get right into it. Cool? All right. Verse 14. <clears throat> uh, imagine with me, real quick, everything that Pastor Britt taught last week when Pentecost happened, and everyone was in the same place, and tongues of fire, and and tongues of language and wind and all this stuff happens and people are gathered around like, what's going on? That's the kind of the context here as you go into verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's our text today. Let's pray. God, thank you for this church. I'm so, it's hard to express my sheer love and gratitude for this place. I pray for a fresh wind and fresh fire to fall upon this church in their spring of the Spirit. I pray, God, that the things that they have been about since day one, that they would still be about them in fresh ways, that you would blow a fresh wind of your spirit upon this church, that you would ignite a fresh fire underneath those who maybe have been discouraged because of the last several months of events here or even the last several years of their life personally, and they don't think that there's hope. They don't think that there's a lot to move forward in. I pray God, that they would reestablish the work of their hands. They would continue in what the Spirit has begun in this church. And they would finish it in the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And I pray this morning that you would lead us in this text. I feel like I felt this morning, first service, I still feel the same way. That I have a lunch and there's so many people to feed and I need you to multiply it. You take it and give it to everyone. And at the end we just collect all the leftovers. And like there's still more and we're all, we're all really full. That's what I hope happens in some way today by the power of the Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys are in a, spirit, a series called A Spring in the Spirit where you are, you are, as Britt said, declaring. You guys are claiming an end to winter and the beginning of spring. Now, I know that that isn't just like, um, that isn't just like literal, like it's, you know, it's winter, we're in the middle of winter and it's spring is coming, but that's a metaphorical thing, that's even a prophetic thing, and I'm with you, 100%, I'm with you, I'm on board. I, I wanted to come and soak in your spring in the spirit because I need it as well. 2017 was the worst year of my life personally. It was the worst year that I've ever lived through. Um, I'm almost 40, and of my short 40 years on this earth, that was the worst year. Anyone with me in 2017? Anyone else? Oh my gosh, Yes. For, maybe it was your best year. It was my worst year. Going into that year, my wife and I had been overcoming some challenges in our marriage. And then my wife was just turning the corner 
on some things going on with her health. And right when we thought we were seeing the light of day at the beginning of last year, our church staff had a significant leadership blow up that took all of last year to walk through. That was the hardest thing that I've ever, I thought stuff in my marriage was hard to walk through when that was, that was hard. This was so hard. And um, just at the end of the year, when we were thought, again, we were seeing the light of day and we we're getting through it and we barely had the energy to get into the fall. Um, my wife's dad tragically was killed in a car accident. And it was like, the, to where when we got to, to December 31st, my wife and I were like, this year is over. Like, we want this year to be over. So when, I, when, I'm, when I'm here, I receive spring in the Spirit. Like, I, for, for my life, I, I want to declare for my life as well. I want to enter into the prophetic thing that you guys are leaning into is I want it for me as well. But the question is, how will you know that this has happened? What will it look like if we actually hit spring in the Spirit? What will it look like for new life to happen in the Spirit, in the life of Reality Carpinteria, or in our lives and our families personally? What will it look like? Well, this is what Britt outlined last week. This is what happens when Pentecost happens. These, these are the, he called the grand effects of Pentecost last week. He said, the whole church was filled with, was made vividly aware of God's presence. So everyone in the church was vividly aware that God is among us. There was a boldness to speak the truth about Jesus. There was a deep conviction of sin. And there was a great harvest of souls. So these were the grand, if you read Acts, chapter, especially the first few chapters of Acts, these are the huge, overarching, beautiful, grand effects of Pentecost. And this is right. Whenever, whenever the Spirit of God is unlike, unleashed, outpoured on, a, on people in a certain place, these are the things that happen. But what I believe we will see in our text today, and what I want to point out, is that I want to point out the subtle effects of Pentecost. These are the grand effects, and these are true, and these are right, and these are good, and these are, these, these are all over the text. But what I, t- I tend to think personally is that when I approach a text like Pentecost, it is so far up here in this sort of, this sort of sphere that I, I, I catch the effects of Pentecost maybe for, th- for all, the, all the good bridges of all the good worship songs, you know? Like, that's when Pentecost happens for me. Like, you're singing a worship song, and then the bridge happens, and you're like, oh my gosh, the bridge, and then everyone just goes nuts. Like, I feel like that sort of moment happens very rarely for me where I'm actually, to be honest, I'm actually catching this in my own life. It's hard. But what I think happens is, and I think these are true, and I want these to be true in in the church's life, but what I think, what we see in in Acts chapter 2, if we step back and look at a different layers, we see the more granular uh, earthy, down-to-earth, human effects of Pentecost. That's what I want to get into today. I want to talk about how, what does it look like if you work in construction at 10 a.m. On, on the job site on Tuesday. Like, on a granular level like that, what does Pentecost look like? And I think, I think this is what we, we see in our text today. So, before we get there, let me, let me, let me do some background work. Let me, let me do what I should be doing as a faithful preacher. Let me give you some background on what's going on here. The disciples are, are doing just exactly what Jesus said for them to do. They were really stoked about starting the kingdom project of Jesus that he inaugurated and he ended. Remember, he sent them out two by two and they came back a few times and they were talking all about how they were casting out demons, uh, they were healing the sick, they were doing all these things. And so when Jesus died and rose from the dead, nothing can stop them now. They're like, our, our leader... You killed him, and then he came back to life again. 
There is nothing you can do against us. Jesus, send us out. We're going to bring this kingdom in right now. We cannot wait. And Jesus says, wait, wait, wait. Wait for the promise of the Spirit. Remember what Jesus said in John. You will do greater works than these when the Spirit comes upon you. So wait for the promised Spirit. And so they do. They're faithful. They wait. They gather in a prayer meeting and they pray for days. And they pray and they pray. And then one day, one day they're praying. Unexpectedly for them, a violent wind hits. And everyone's speaking in tongues. And so the wind, wind and and spirit, by the way, are connected in Scripture. Um, The very opening scene of the Bible, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit, that word spirit is wind or breath. So even in Hebrew Hebrew and in Greek, uh, the word spirit and wind and breath are all interchangeable words. In Hebrew, even when you say the word spirit or wind or breath, it's like you're, you're spitting wind out of your mouth. Ruach is the, is the Hebrew word. So whenever you even say it, say, say wind, ruach, spirit, ruach. It's that same sort of word, pneuma in Greek. It's, it means breath, wind, spirit. So the fact that the Spirit of God came with, with the, with, through wind in Acts 2 is not new. The, the Spirit of God and wind are interchangeable. Those things happen. But what was different here was that it came with a violent wind. It says a violent wind, meaning... There's no stopping this. What the Spirit was about to do in human history, there is no stopping it. And uh, Peter says God poured it out. Whatever you pour out, you can't put back in. You can't. It's poured out. Whatever the Spirit was about to do through the life of the church now was just violent, meaning there's no, you couldn't stop it. It was, gonna, it was coming on with a force. And so the Spirit of God blows through violently, and they, they come up, it comes upon the disciples. And then it says fire, wind and fire. Fire happens. It's like little, I don't know what it would look like. It would licks of fire, flames of fire over everyone's head. Now, fire is interesting because fire is energy that is being released from matter, right? That's all fire is. Fire always requires a source to keep it burning. That's why you, when a fire goes out, you put another log on the fire. It, it needs something to consume. Our God, it says, is a consuming fire. What that means is this, and Moses experienced the same thing when he saw the burning bush that was not consumed. This is what this means. When, it, when the Bible talks about God being fire, it, means, it talks about a God who exists in an unbound, unfounded, everlasting energy that needs nothing to support him or nothing to keep him going. So God doesn't need wood to burn. He doesn't need some source to consume to become fire. He just is fire. He is all-consuming and everlasting, unfounded, meaning there's no beginning and no end, unbounded. You cannot bound God. So God has these licks of fire over everyone's head, meaning this, this is what would sustain the early church. The self-sustained fire of God. That's what would sustain the early church. This, this early church, their energy source is the fuel of God himself. And it was all above everyone. And then wind, fire, and then you get tongues. Everyone starts speaking in tongues. This is really, really cool, by the way. Because everyone starts hearing. They all, had, they all spoke different languages there. And then everyone starts hearing it in their own tongue. Which is, if you know, if you've read the book of Genesis, you know what is happening here. This is the reversal of the Tower of Babel. This is the Tower of Babel, the, 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 the curse or the judgment of the Tower of Babel being reversed. The Tower of Babel, everyone spoke a common language. They tried to ascend to become God and dethrone God. And God confused their language. And they all spoke different languages. God's, this opposite is happening here. 
God has given them a common language. There's unity here brought by the Spirit. And due to this wind and fire and tongues and all this stuff that was happening, a huge crowd gathers around. And the crowd's bewilderment is this. They say, first thing they think is this, are these people drunk? That's fair, right? I mean, if you're claiming I see fire above your head and then you're talking gibberish, you're like, bro, you've been drinking, you've been hitting that, that sauce again, huh? You've been doing that thing, like... That's the first thing they think they're thinking, oh, I think they're drunk. Okay, the second thing they're thinking is, okay, if they're not drunk, what does this mean? This is some freaky stuff here. What's going on? Are they drunk? And so Peter stands up and says, okay, let me explain what's going on. Peter stood up with 11 and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen to what I'm about to say, guys. Let me explain this to you. Peter is about to explain what they all witnessed. And they witnessed the Spirit of God coming upon the church. However, what I would like to do in explaining or looking at what Peter said, what I would like to do is I want to get, if, if you would, I mean, you have to go with me because you're here unless you get up and leave right now. Um, what I want to do is I want to step back and get one like a meta level bigger, right? So Peter is about to explain what's going on through the prophet Joel, and we'll get there in a second. But what I want to do is I want to step back one layer. I want to click out one, like, zoom out one little zoom. I don't even know what that's called. When you click out one zoom, it gets bigger. I want to do that and because and, I think there's two layers going on. I think there's an, a plain explanation of what's going on through Peter just saying, hey, it's Joel's prophecy coming true. But I also think the other layer is Luke himself writing this. The way that Luke is writing this, he's actually explaining what's going on as well. So Luke's the author of Acts, right, just like he's the author of Luke. He's the author of Acts, and he's explaining what's going on through Peter, through recounting what Peter said. And I think both of those layers give us profound and even granular human-level meaning of when the Holy Spirit comes upon a church or someone, what happens. Let me explain. Are you guys with me, by the way? Okay, good. So so let's, let's, let's kind of look at this. The question that's on the table for us to answer right now is, how do we know this was the Spirit of God? How do we know these men weren't just drunk? How do we know this is the Spirit? First, notice this. Notice that Peter stood up. You see how it says there that as soon as Peter stood up with the 11, he raised his voice, he stood up. Now, this is is actually really, really, uh, I think this is an important part of the text. Because the last time Peter was put on the spot like this was during the night of Jesus' betrayal and arrest. A young girl walked up to him and asked, were you not the one with Jesus as well? Give us an explanation. What's going on? You were with Jesus too. And Peter did not stand up. He copped out, right? We know this. He, he gave up. He says, there's no way. Now, here's what I think. Point one, here's what I think. I think one of the evidences of the Spirit coming upon the life of a follower of Jesus is a Christ-like mellow boldness. This is what I think is happening with Peter. I, I believe Peter right here is a, has a Christ-like mellow boldness. Let me explain what I mean by that. Anyone could be bold. Wine makes you bold, right? There's all kinds of funny YouTube videos. Liquid courage, they call it. There's really funny YouTube videos. It makes for funny videos, but it's not, what, it's not the spirit-filled life. Anyone can be bold. Sometimes we say this. The spirit comes upon someone and it makes you bold, well, there's different kinds of boldnesses, right? Peter was no stranger to bold, being bold. Peter spoke up all the time. He was, he was not a stranger to fear. He, he actually spoke up a lot. He spoke up 
when Jesus tried to wash his feet. Do you guys remember that scene? Jesus is going around the table, washing all the disciples' feet, just an act of care and service. And, and Jesus gets to Peter, and Peter says, Jesus, you're not washing my feet. That's bold. Jesus is doing all this stuff. You're like, Jesus, not, not my feet. No way. Don't touch my feet. Um, and then Jesus says, if I, don't, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. And he's like, okay, wash my whole body. Jesus is like, bro, calm down. Okay, we're not doing the body. We're doing the feet. See, feet, feet, feet. It's a feet thing right now. He, Peter's bold. He's like, okay, down my feet, my whole body, Lord. Like, he's bold. He's, Peter doesn't lack boldness. He stood up to tell Jesus that he wasn't going to the cross. You don't get more bold than that. Jesus is saying this, hey, I'm going to the cross. You guys are coming with me. I'm going there. I'm going to lay down my life. And Peter says, Jesus, come here, come here. Bro, you're not going to the cross. Get this out of your mind. You're not going to do it. I have your back. They have your back. We all got this. We're going to go there. You're not going to go to the cross. And what did Jesus have to do? He had to rebuke Peter. Peter did not lack boldness. And then he stood up for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter pulled out a sword. That's bold. And he starts going for people. He lops off someone's ear. Okay, first of all, that's a little weird. Like, if you're going to go for someone, why ear? Why, like, uh, I gotcha. Like, <laughs> super weird. Always, I always think, Peter, come on, man. Like, you can do better than an earlobe. But he's like, gotcha. Anyway, so he, he pulls out sword and he's going, that's, that's bold. Pulls out a sword, starts going for people, protecting Jesus. You will not be arrested, Jesus. They'll take you over my dead body. I told you I'd never leave you, forsake you. Oh, and then he goes after him. And then Jesus says, put away your sword. The kingdom of God does not come in by a sword. It will not come in with that kind of force. If you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. Put away your sword. And so Peter does. Peter does not lack boldness. In all of these instances, Jesus had to rebuke Peter because of his boldness. And eventually, Peter gave up. Peter gave up trying to defend himself. Peter gave up trying to defend Jesus. And he saw Jesus go to the cross. He denied Jesus just like Jesus said he was going to do. And he saw his Lord go quietly to the cross. Not defending himself, not fighting, going humbly. And saying all the while, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, there's a boldness that makes us try to defend God. And there's a boldness that allows us to simply explain God. And I think there's a difference. Peter, in the early part of his life with Jesus, was trying to defend God. He was trying to defend himself even. And what it took for Peter is a mellowing. It took a mellowing of Peter's soul where he felt no longer that he had to defend anything. All he had to do was explain what was going on. So when he stands up here, it says that Peter stood up. This wasn't because Peter's bold. Peter's always been bold. But this is a different kind of boldness. This is one where he stands up. He's like, I don't have to defend my Lord. I don't have to take it even personally that you said that we're drunk. All I can say is this. Guys, this is what happened in the Bible. This is what our scriptures said would happen. This is what Joel, this is a different kind of Peter because of the spirit of God. There's a lot of us that are, are harsh or rash or bold and we think that's the spirit. And it's, that's, that's not the Holy Spirit. A Holy Spirit is a mellow soul. 
A soul that trusts that God is completely in control of everything. It's kind of the way that Jesus walked around. Peter spent the early part of his life trying to fend Jesus and defend himself, and now he's, he's free. This is the, and, and this is the confidence that Peter had, a mellow confidence that Peter had, and it carried him through his whole life. A legend has it in the Fox Book of Martyrs that Peter, when he was about to be crucified, he said, I can't, I can't die the way that my Lord died. Crucify me upside down. And then when his wife, they were about to kill his wife in front of him, his wife, Peter's wife, they said, Peter, if you don't deny Jesus... We're going to kill your wife in front of you. And Peter looked at his wife and said, woman, remember Christ. That was the last words he said to his wife. That is a a boldness that's mellow, that's different, that completely trusts in what the Spirit is doing. That's confidence and boldness mellowed by the Spirit. This is what, this is evidence of the Spirit of God coming upon Peter. This is complete evidence of the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God comes on someone, when Pentecost happens in a life, there's a, there's a, a, a bold mellowness that happens. Secondly, the thing that we see as evidence of the Spirit coming, upon, coming genuinely upon Peter in the church is that this. This is, this is my favorite, guys. Peter has jokes. He has jokes. Look at how he starts off. This is, a, this is by the way, this is how you start. If you can start a sermon this way, you're killing it all, all, at the very beginning. He starts his sermon like this. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Thomas, that's a good, that's literally a good joke, okay? When you're reading the Bible, some of you guys kind of laugh when I read through that. That's actually funny. Listen, he's not being literal. He's He's not saying this. Guys, we're not drunk. It's not noon yet. We don't drink until noon. He's not saying that. You know he's not saying that. He's not saying that. What is he saying? He's, he's making a joke. He's like, guys, we're not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And I can hear the disciples going, <laughs> that was actually good. That was a good one. This, th- I think this is funny. And here's the point. I think this is the point here. I don't think Peter, old Peter, could have laughed this off. I think old Peter, when they said, you're drunk, Peter was like, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not drunk. You're drunk. I'm not drunk. You're, and he would, I think he would defend himself. He'd go, you know what the Bible says about being drunk? Proverbs said, he, Peter would have been up in arms. He laughed it off. He's like, we're not drunk. It's nine. Listen, this is what I think it means. Here's the point. The sign that the Spirit has filled someone's life is that you have a joy that is evidence in the fact that you don't take yourself too seriously. I, last night, we were at, at dinner with Britt and his family it was his birthday this last week. I don't know if you guys knew this. Bert's birthday was Wednesday and Thursday. He's born on leap year, so he gets to celebrate two days most years. And so that's great for me because I have two days to call him for his birthday. And, um, and so we were going around the table for Britt's birthday and just like, what do we love about Britt? And uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of great stuff. And his son Isaiah said, I love that my dad can take a joke. And, I, and, and Isaiah said a few things, and that one stuck out to me. I'm like, that, I think, I believe that is evidence of the Holy Spirit. That, I think this is, I think being able to not take yourself too seriously is the secret sauce of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have this, if you take yourself too seriously, look out, you might not have the genuine article. However, wine can do this too, right? Wine can make your heart glad. Wine can make you like not care, not take your, but there's a, there's a different confidence that comes from the Spirit. The joy the Spirit brings 
A joy that we don't have to take ourselves too seriously comes from the knowledge of where we've come from and where the Lord, what the Lord has done in our lives to redeem us. When we, when we realize where we've come from, it's easier not to take ourselves too seriously. I think this is exactly what happened to Peter. I believe that Peter, before the Spirit came upon him, took himself very seriously. Almost too seriously. Do you remember when Jesus said, all of you will betray me in this room? Who speaks up? Peter. Why? You don't talk to me that way. Don't talk about me that way. I will never leave you. Jesus, how can you even think I would leave you? That's insane. I can't believe this. I'll never leave you. Forsake you. I'll die with you. I'll die for you. I got my sword. We got it. That's Peter. That's bold, old Peter. That's Peter like, no, 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 don't say that about me. You can't say that about me. How dare you say that about me? See him defending himself? See him like really quick to kind of like, wait, 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 what, what are you saying about me? That, that's, that's, that's old, tense Peter. That's a Peter that if you're going, you guys are drunk. He'd be like, I'm not drunk. What are you talking about? But something happens to Peter. The thing that happens to Peter, only John records it. And I'm glad he does. After Peter denied Jesus, after the crucifixion, and after the resurrection, Peter went fishing. And it was early in the morning, and they're out on the Sea of Galilee. And, and by the way, the Sea of Galilee is, is where Jesus first called Peter to drop his nets and follow him. And they're out there fishing again. And there's a fire. Someone started a fire on the seashore, and Peter looks, looks on, and he realizes it's Jesus. And so Peter, he could have like, just like, hey, turn the boat, guys. Let's row to shore really quick. Jesus, I think Jesus is on the shore. He jumps off the boat, full clothes, cloak on. I don't know what he had on. Jumps off the boat, flails to Jesus. He goes up to Jesus, and he sees him. And he, it says that he sits next to Jesus, warming himself by the fire. Now, interesting, because um, that's what John said that Peter was doing the night Jesus was betrayed. He was warming himself by the fire right before he betrayed Jesus. And so Peter's in a similar situation. He's by a fire. He's with Jesus. And Jesus asks Peter, do you love me three times? How many times did, did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. The parallelism is beautiful. The poetry is right, is right there, right? Do you love me? And this is what Jesus said to him. They're both roaming themselves by the fire. And Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't know what Jesus is talking about. What is than these? What does that mean? Could have meant a couple things. Do you love me more than these? It could have been the disciples who were right there as well. Do you love me more than these disciples? Now, Jesus if Jesus was asking that, the reason why he might have been asking that was because, remember Peter said, if they all abandon you, those chumps all abandon you, I will never abandon you. I have your back. I'm not like them. They're cheese balls. I will never abandon you. What happened? He does. Peter says, I love you more than them. I do. I will never abandon you. They might. I won't. So Jesus is like, do you love me more than these? Meaning, do, do you really? You denied me? They left? Do you love me more than them? Or, then these could have been the fish in the nets. Those were there too. And remember, Peter had laid those aside before. Peter dropped his nets and followed Jesus. 
And somehow, Peter's right back where he was before with fish and nets again. And Jesus is like, do you love me more than these? I thought we laid these down. I thought we laid these down. Do you love me more than them? See, he could have been either. We don't know. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And this is what Peter said, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus, you guys might know this, but Jesus uses the word agape here. Unconditional love. And Peter responds to him by using the word phileo, which is a friendship love. Now, we would be wrong to think that those are lesser loves or phileo is a lesser love. It's not a lesser, they're different loves. You're both needed. You need agape love and you need phileo love. You need, you need a, an unconditional love and you need a friendship, deep friendship love. They're not a lesser loves, they're different kinds of loves. And so Jesus says, Peter, do you love me unconditionally? To which Peter answers, Lord, you know that I love you as a, as a friend, like a deep friend love. What's happening here? Peter is mellowed and more humble now and much more wise. Peter is saying, I know, Lord, that you unconditionally love me. You've proven that. But I don't know if I can say that I will never deny you because I've said that before and I was wrong. I can say that I don't want to. I can't, I can't say that, 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 that in my life right now, you are the closest thing to me and I love you. But I cannot say I unconditionally love you because I know my flesh. I know everything in me. But I tell you this, I love you. See, before Peter denied Jesus, he took himself way too seriously. I'll never deny you. I'm amazing. I'll die for you. And then he's humbled. He is so humbled where he doesn't take himself too seriously anymore. He's like, I know my proclivities. I know what I'm capable of. I've seen what I'm capable of. Lord, I love you. With everything in me now, I love you. And Jesus says, that's, that's right. That's good enough for me. Go feed my sheep. Calls him right back into ministry. Go and feed my sheep. But this, this Peter here is a different Peter. When the Spirit comes upon someone in their life, I think that that, that work that, that the Spirit does brings joy and allows us to not be defensive of ourselves. It allows us to, when someone says, you're drunk, we can laugh it off like, no, we're not drunk. It's only night. This is what's going on in the Spirit. You see how Peter just like deflected that really quick? That was so easy. We're, I think before he would have got caught up in that, it would have been this giant dissertation on what, what drunkenness is, but not anymore. This Peter just dodges it. Just like, no, we're not drunk, it's nine. Let me tell you what's going on, guys. That, this is a different kind of person. When we're able to, 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 to be like this, we're able to like look at our failures in the face and say, wow, we're just flesh. The grace of, by the grace of God go I. Third thing. This is that. Say that with me. Say, this is that. And I wish I was a Pentecostal preacher at this moment so bad, because this one kill in a Pentecostal church, okay? This is that. This is, uh, I think this is one of the phrases that Peter uses that's really, really catchy, that you can write down on your notes somewhere, that you can, re- you can recite to yourself every single night, because I think it's so good. What Peter says happens here, he says, this is that which, the, which Joel had prophesied about. This is what I mean by that. The third thing 
we see as evidence of the Spirit coming upon a church is that you start seeing the Bible come true around you. Okay, write that down. You start to see the Bible come true around you. You start to start connecting dots. When things start going on in your life, you're able to go, oh, this is that which it says in the Old Testament. This is that which it says in the New Testament. This is that what Jesus said would happen. This is, the, this is what Peter is doing. He's able to connect the dots. By the way, this is exactly the way John the Baptist spoke, and this is exactly the way Jesus spoke. When they were asking John the Baptist, who are you? What are you doing? What's going on? He said, this is that which it's said by Isaiah in Isaiah 40. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Exact same thing happened with Jesus. When he came on his ministry, he said, this is that what Isaiah said in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim the good news of the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is that. When the Spirit comes upon a church or a person, you start seeing the Bible come true around your life. You start seeing it happen around your life and you're like, this is that. When I think of Reality Carpinteria, when I think of this beloved, beautiful church community, what you have done in this little, quaint beach town, this little, simple, salt-of-the-earth beach town, what you've done all over the world in your church-planting efforts, in your missional endeavors, I think, this is that which came true for David when he stood before Goliath. When he was smaller than Goliath and he was the underdog and he stood before this giant and he said, it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord and he will give you into our hands. I think of this, this, this comparatively, this little church in this little town, comparatively. And you, you guys size up San Francisco and you're like, there's no way a church in the beach town of Carpinteria can plant a church in San Francisco. That's not a thing. We've tried it. Everyone's tried it. And you're like, you know what? This is that same thing that happened with David and Goliath. The, the battle is not to the swift or to the strong. The battle is the Lord's, and he'll do it. You guys have sized up London. You guys have sized up Los Angeles. You guys have sized up Boston. You guys have sized up like the largest cities in the, in the world. And you're like, and you're just from this like cute little beach town. And you're like, this is that which the Lord said to do. Like, he'll go before us. And he will do the battle. The battle is his, not ours. The battle is the Lord's. That's what's happening in and has happened through this church. And I know will happen still. When I think of all the missionaries you've sent all all over the world. You guys have sent them. And all these random places. Some places are secret that you can't even know that they're there. And I look at that and like, from this little beach community, what is going on? This is that which we read in Romans 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How then can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. This is that. This is what you guys are doing. This is what you guys are a part of. This is what happens. This not only happens when the Spirit falls upon a church. This happens to our lives personally. We start to see the Bible come true in and around our own personal lives. We see the evidence of the Spirit of God working in us. When you are personally going through a crushing trial with your kids or your marriage or your work or your home is under another evac and it's crushing and it's painful, but you show up to church and I see you and you still have joy. What is that? How is that? 
and you say, well, this is that which Paul talks about, how I consider my present sufferings not even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in me. Do you see? This is that. This is that which Job proclaimed. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. This is that which Habakkuk writes. You guys remember Habakkuk? Of course you do. This is what Habakkuk writes. This is that which he writes. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. This is that. I have a close, a good friend of mine, a recent good friend of mine, who this last week, the, there was a coup on his, at his job, and these people turned against him and basically kicked him out of his own company, and he's completely out. Like, they barred him from the company, can't even come back anymore. And I have lunch with him, and I walk up to him, and he has this grin on his face, this, like, quiet, mellow grin, and he gives me this hug, and I'm like, how are you? And he's like, I'm so good. I'm like, what drugs are you on, man? Like, right, that's like, are you not drunk? And it, it was noon. I'm like, what are you, what, what, what? He said, listen, he said, it, it, it's like Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the wave that, ha- that dashes me against the rock of ages. That's what he said to me. I have learned to kiss the wave that dashes me against the rock of ages. And I was like, what? He said, this is that. I am dashed on the rock, but I'm dashed on the rock of ages. I'm turning to Jesus. And I was just like, okay, I, I want to I know everything you're going through because I want to become this sort of person. Ash and I, in 2007, Easter week of 2007, we sold our house in Bakersfield to move to Carpinteria. And that year, we were at where you guys are going back to, by the way, Carp High. I worked there for a while, but I don't want to talk about that right now. Anyway, so you guys are going back there for Easter. When we first moved here, we sold our house. Ash and I owned a little house in, in Bakersfield. We had no intention of moving. God called us to plant a church. We didn't know where. We moved here. We sold everything that we had, moved here. Then God called us to San Francisco. And literally, we thought we will never, ever, ever own a house again in our lives, especially in San Francisco, the most expensive city in America. Only certain districts in, in New York are more expensive. It's insane. Easter week this year, we get to move into our new home that we just bought in San Francisco. Praise God, yes. And so I think about this, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not that guy that's like, you know, whatever, you know, I'm just, I, I am in, I feel like a spoiled kid. I am in utter shock. I'm like, what? what? What's happening? This is that which Jesus said, anyone who has left houses or brothers, or sisters, for my sake, will receive 100x, not only in this life, but in the life to come. I can, I, like, this is that. Who would have thought, a, 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 someone from Bakersfield, like, literally, you can laugh, it's, it's Bakersfield. I love that place. But I, like, I sell everything, move here, then move to San Francisco, and then, and then, ha- Get, get, get to enjoy this? this, this I'm like, Lord, this is that. I just don't understand it. I can like soak it in. This is, when the Spirit is at work in the Bible, God's Word comes true all around you. Here's the thing though, guys. You have to stop and think. You have to reflect. 
Some of us burn through life. At the end of the day, we burn out on Instagram. We just kind of like numb out. We don't stop and reflect what has, before, before, you, before you numb out on television, Netflix, or social media this week, let me challenge you, that before you do that, I hope that you never do that, but I hope that before you do, that you would at least answer this question, how can I say today, this is that? This, what happened in my life today was this is that which God promised, this is that which says in the scripture, this is that which God said would happen. That you would think, you would meditate. I think every single day, God is having the scriptures by the Spirit come you're, come true in your life more and more. If this is true, this spring in the spirit, I mean, I don't, I would imagine, have you ever planted things and you, every day you check its progress? See how it grows and like breaks the soil and it comes through. You're like, yes, come on guys, come on, grow, grow. Like that, if this spring in the spirit, we should be looking for places that, that the spirit has brought new life and is breaking the soil. It's coming up. We're like, yes, it's there. I see it. God, this is that which is going on, that sort of thing. That's what this is all about. I think this is what Acts is about. This last week, you read in chapter 5 of Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire, this quote, Jim Simbola, the author, is quoting J.P. Phillips um, in his introduction of the book of Acts. And I, I hope that you read it and you're like, oh my gosh, we're in Acts right now. This is crazy. Look at this. It's perfect. It's perfect. It fits so perfect. It says this. I'm quoting straight from the book. It is impossible to spend several months in close study of the remarkable short book of Acts without being profoundly stirred and, to be honest, disturbed. The reader is stirred because he is seeing Christianity, the real thing, in action for the first time in human history. I love that, that thought about Acts. You're, what you're seeing is a genuine article for the first time in human history. The newborn church, as vulnerable as any human child, having neither money, influence, nor power in the ordinary sense, is setting forth joyfully and courageously to win the pagan world for God through Christ. Yet we cannot help feeling disturbed as well as moved. For this surely is the church as it was meant to be. It is, a, it is vigorous and flexible. For these are the days before it ever became fat and short of breath through prosperity or muscle bound by over-organization. Over these men did not make, quote, acts of faith. They believed. They did not, quote, say their prayers. They really prayed. They did not hold conferences on psychosomatic medicine, they simply healed the sick. But if they were uncomplicated and naive by modern standards, we have ruefully to admit that they were open on the Godward side in the way that is almost unknown today. What he's saying there is that for many of us, we are so dependent on our technology, on our medicine, our advancement, on our own self-worth, net worth, ability to do it ourselves, that these disciples had nothing but the Spirit. Nothing but the Spirit. And that was more than enough. They, he would, they would, what he's even saying is they were actually had to be open to the Godward side where that's where you see the miraculous happen. This is where you're living the life where you're seeing the Scriptures come to life every single day. But because we're so dependent on all our technology, on all of our creature comforts, we, we're not really opened up to the Godward side. And so the promise for everyone, for all of us, is that when the Spirit comes, that we would actually be opened up to the Spirit side. And the way that Peter describes all of it, just to read a, couple, first, a few verses, he says, this is that which happens in Joel. He says, in the, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. That means Everyone. And because of that, your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will see dreams. Prophecy here, this global prophecy or this, 
this like prophecy that everyone gets is a prophecy that is speaking forth the word of God. It's, it's given to all of us. And then it says that, especially, I think especially here, young people get vision. I think this is right. I know that there are a lot of young people here in this church that have a lot of vision. And vision is this. Vision is imagining a better future and making that a reality. And I believe that there are people here that have all kinds of God-given vision for the world in which God hopes for. And cynicism and time has not beat that out of you yet. And you just still dream of a world like, that is possible. It might not have been possible for this generation that that is older, but it's possible for our generation. We can do it. We can see this in breaking kingdom of God happen and you have vision and that need that when the spirit is poured out that's what happens this is this is my, my, my God has gifted me as a visionary I'm always thinking about the future it is really hard for me to think about right now I'm always thinking about the future and I don't want that to stop I think over this last year with everything that went on in my life I feel like the, Satan's discouragement was was stop having vision and I remember this one moment where Britt and Tim spoke over my life they're like that is who you are, and we, we rebuke Satan saying otherwise. Have vision. Keep visioning. And for you that are young, we need your vision. There are certain things that, that we, as, as, even as I get older, we just don't know how to do. You're like, oh, we can do this. This is how we would do it. And we need to give the young people in the church the, the latitude and the freedom, even to fail to go, go and do the vision for our church. And then older people, you'll have dreams, which means you sleep more, which makes sense. That's not true. Um, dream, I don't, okay, so I don't, uh, I, I think here what it's talking about, dreams are more prophetic. Vision, you kind of see it when you're awake. You kind of see a future. And you're like, but dreams are more vivid. Like dreams are weird, right? Like dreams, like you're dreaming and all of a sudden a unicorn pops in. And you're like, what is that? Like, and you, I think dreams are, are really, really more prophetic. Uh, it, it was a dream of someone in this church that, that God confirmed to send us to San Francisco. People that have dreams, it's more of a like, Seeing, a, uh, seeing a, a future, a dream that is really, really concrete and really prophetic. And some of us that have, some of you guys that have dreams in this church need to like lean into those dreams to go, I have a dream for this church. I have a dream for the coastlands. I have a dream for Carpinteria. And I have a dream, and we're, and, and I'm, I'll, I'll submit these dreams to you. Like this is what we, we can expect to happen here. On servants, men, women, young, old, God's gonna pour out the spirit. And so church, this is what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with what Robin Williams left his class in the Dead Poet Society with. You guys remember that movie? Great movie. Do you remember that scene where he quotes Walt Whitman? And I just want to, I want to quote this to you because I think this is true of this church. And I, uh, if you've ever read the book of Revelation and it, it opens with the, the, Jesus speaking to the seven churches in Revelation, and every church gets a different message. I think God has a special, unique calling for every single church. And I think the unique calling for this church is still upon you guys. I think your, your best days are ahead of you. I think the spring of the Spirit is so prophetic. I want you guys to lean in and pray into all of it. And so I leave you with this. Walt Whitman. This is, this is from Depot Society because at the end of it, Robin Williams adds a line. But this Walt Whitman quote is what he quotes. He says, O me, O life. Of the questions of these recurring of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish. What good amid these, O me, O life? He is, he is musing on the reality that what is this life? 
There's so much brokenness. There's so much powerlessness. There's so much faithlessness in the cities. Foolishness. What is this life? And he says this. Answer. That you are here. That life exists. And identity. And the powerful play goes on. And you may contribute a verse. And then he repeats it. The powerful play goes on and you contribute a verse. And then Robin Williams adds in the movie, what will your verse be? We have come in a long succession of beautiful gospel churches. And every single church gets a little moment, maybe 50 years, maybe 40 years, maybe 20 years, maybe 10 years. And they contribute a verse to the ongoing play, powerful play that is God's kingdom. And so, Reality Carpentry, what will your verse be? You, God has given you beautiful music, a beautiful calling. May it be revived. May the fallow ground be broken up. May you plant new things. May you get fresh vision. May the old people in here have dreams of what it could be like. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the calling and the legacy. And I pray that the best years of this church would be ahead of them. I pray a spring in the spirit in the truest sense. And I pray that all of these things, both practical, granular, human, would happen. That you would mellow some of us out a little bit. Remind us what you've saved us from. For some of us, would you bring newfound joy that we're we're able to laugh certain things off. For others of us, I pray that you would bring in our lives a fresh baptism of the Spirit where it feels like we're alive, where we can say this is that. I want to pray against discouragement. I know that there are people here that are asleep. Maybe not physically asleep right now, but so distracted in their minds that they cannot be present to anything. And your spirit would say, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up to the kingdom reality that is now. Wake up to your life and your identity now. Wake up. There's a whole there's a whole thing I'm trying to do through you and a whole thing I'm trying to do through this church and if you would just wake up and be a part of it, your life would be fulfilled. For those that are asleep here, Lord, I pray that you would wake them up. Wake them up for their slumber. Wake them up for their sleep. Orient their lives towards you and may your spirit come down. Torrents, outpouring of your spirit upon this church in Christ's strong name. Let's respond to God, church.